five, if you will, this morning. Um, I'm, we're going to do something this morning here. Uh, last time we were together, we looked at Ephesians 5, verse 18, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And uh, we looked at that issue there about the Bible and the bottle. And what Paul, and what I want to do this morning, I kind of borrowed a little bit from Nick about the big picture. And uh, <laughs> so I, we're, we're, I want to look at what the big picture, what's really going on here in, in, Rome, in, in Ephesians 5.18 when he talks about be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. And you'll notice verse 15, 18 starts with the word and. Now, by the way, we're gonna, we took five months or whatever to talk about what it was to be filled with the Spirit. So we're going to take another five or eight months to talk about the first part of 518, okay? Because we're not going to just sit here. We're going to go other places. And the stuff that we're going to study and the stuff that we're going to look at over the coming weeks and months and years and decades, it's going to be stuff that in the 40s, in the 30s, the 40s, and the 50s was commonly talked about in grace churches, in the local churches, because there's something that's going on in 518 that we're going to pick up on and then depart from in a massive manner that is something that all of us need to understand is going on in the world. When you look at the issue of why are things happening in our society, in our country, in our communities, in the world, there, there's, a, there's a ploy, there's a system behind it that ha- that's ongoing that you and I need to understand, and we need to see it, we need to be able to recognize it, so that when someone says, yeah, but what about this, you, can, you don't have to argue with them. You can if you want to, but you need to have some knowledge, some wisdom, some understanding. And when Paul st- starts here, verse 18, and, see that and, Well, go back up to verse 15 because that's really where the sentence begins. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as what? Wise. Here's an instruction to walk in wisdom. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Why are we to walk in wisdom? Because the days are what? Evil. See, there's something going on around us that we need to be aware of. We need to understand it because so that we can then not just have a knee-jerk reaction like Christendom out there does, but rather have a, a, a reaction of wisdom and understanding and knowledge. Verse 17, wherefore be ye not unwise. See that issue of Paul's pleading to have some wisdom here, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. How are we going to walk in wisdom? So he gives us instruction The last instruction here of our walk, walk in wisdom. Then he says, here's why you're to walk in wisdom, verse 16. And then in verse 17, he says, here's how you're going to walk in wisdom, understanding the will of the Lord and what it is. So understanding the will of the Lord is, is to then walk in wisdom. So he says, verse 18. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The f- f- and be not drunk with wine. The first part of verse 18 is what will stop your walk in wisdom. Okay? 
The second part is what will enable your walk in wisdom. A wise walk is one that is controlled by being filled with the Spirit, having your life controlled by the Holy Spirit, having Him letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, Colossians says. Having the Spirit come and have your mind and your thinking under the control of the love and the grace of God. That's ours and who we are in Christ Jesus. Having that identity of who we are running things and the Word of God coming in and saying, here it is, boom, here's that, and being able to discern between. Approve the things that are more excellent, Philippians 1 says. How do I do that? I have a walk in wisdom. I have a life controlled by the Holy Spirit. So when you come into this, now, that's kind of introduction of a little bit here. Actually, this whole morning is going to be intro. But go back with me just quickly. We're not studying the whole of, of Ephesians. But I want you to catch a thought that's running through Ephesians. Go back to Ephesians 1. In Ephesians 1 through 3 and 4 through 6. And then you've got 6a and then you've got 6b. Okay. You can, an easy outline of the book. In chapters 1 through 3, we see that we're blessed. We're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. There's nothing you can do to add to your blessings. And by the way, there's nothing you can do to take away from them. So you, you're blessed. But then, not only are you blessed, but then in 4 through 6, he's going to look at your behavior. Here's how you're to behave. But then in 6b, he says, there's a battle raging. Then he says, here's your calling. Here's your conduct. By the way, we have a conflict that we're going to battle. Here's your wealth. Here's your walk. Here's your warfare. There you go. Then he comes in and he says, here's your doctrine. And then here's your duty. Covers them both. Ephesians 1, look at verse 10. He says, I want, in, in 5.17, understanding what the will of the Lord is. Ephesians 1, verse 10. Verse 9, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. The Father's will is no longer a mystery. It's been revealed. So when you hear someone say, you can't know the will of the, you just go, you know, give them the Bronx cheer, and off you go. They don't know what they're talking about. What's the verse say? It's been revealed. But what is the mystery of his will? That's verse 10. That, the intent, the purpose. Here it is. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. There's the mystery. And now, is that hard? That's really simple, isn't it? What is the will of God? He would have all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Real simple. It's not complex. Now, we make it complex. Religion does that. we got to have this plan and that plan. No. What is, the, what is the purpose of the Father? What is the will of God? He's going to take the earth 
put it underneath the headship and the rulership of the nation of Israel. He's going to take the heavenly places and put that underneath you and I. Right? He's, and he begins to develop that in chapter 1. Chapter 2. In chapter 1, verse 10, and, and following, actually, you start there in verse 15, down to the end of the chapter, you're introduced to the big picture. You're introduced to the eternal purpose of the Father of glory. But then in, in chapter 2, he introduces something to us. Verse 2, wherein in time past you walked according to the, what? Course of the world. You know what he introduces to us, this issue that, hey, you, you got the big picture? You see what I'm trying to do? Guess what? You got an adversary. You got someone who's going to stand against that. This, the present evil world. The perverse and crooked world. And he calls it the course of this world according to the prince of the power of air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And he says, hey, I don't want, in Romans 12, he says, well, Romans 12, look over there. Romans 12. Oh. Well, it ain't Romans 12. That's a good thing, huh? Where does he say not to be high-minded? Uh, Romans 11. I'm sorry. Is it Romans 11? Say it again. Say it out loud. No, it's not Romans 11. Yeah, 11.20 isn't the right verse. Anyway. Go back to Ephesians 2. 11.20? Okay, thank you. <laughs> yes. Wealth. I'm sorry, I missed an L. Yeah, wealth. Okay. D duty. Duty fits in both, is really covered in both the sections. Okay. A little pause in the thinking there. All right, back to chapter 2. He reveals to us, he says, hey, look, you got the big plan? There's an adversary. Chapter 3. Look at chapter 3, Ephesians 3, verse 9. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, from uh, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that, what's that word? Now. Right now, under the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. We're going to talk about that verse. Right now, we have, uh, we have angels that watch us, a whole spiritual realm that's watching us and looking at us. Chapter 4 to 6, he deals with the attack. He deals with the adversary. If you look at chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Chapter, verse 17, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. And there's an attack on our walk. Verse 14, That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. There's this whole movement. We have the big picture. 
Chapter 1, we got it. Man, woo, let's go. And he says, yeah, but there's something else going on behind the scenes. So when you come back over to chapter 5, actually we looked last two weeks, or let's uh, a couple messages ago, verse, chapter 6, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. When we get over to there, guess what he says? you got this armor. You've got this spiritual doctrine already in place. I heard a guy one time say, you better be putting on the armor. The armor is already in place. You have to activate it. Okay? You've seen Iron Man, the movies. No, you didn't miss much. But if you did, all you have to do is activate the suit. It's there. It's already there. You don't have to get over here and get it out of the closet and mothballs and go put one arm on. Oh, man, it's, you know, a little, gained a little weight, won't fit. No, it's already there. You just have to activate it. But you can't activate it unless you know what? The adversary. What's going on? Are you in a battle? Chapter 5, verse 18. What's Paul talking about here when he comes in and he says, hey, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. Now, last time we looked at the issue of what he's not talking about. He's not talking about going out and having a little drink on Friday night with the guys. He's not talking about going out and getting drunk on alcohol. Now, that's bad. Common sense tells you don't do that. And as a believer, you shouldn't do that. Okay, And we looked at all of that two weeks ago. But then what is he talking about? What is really going on here? He says excess. What's the excess? What is Paul getting at when he says, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess? That issue about excess, you can overdo it, can't you? Just put me in front of a chocolate cake, man. Woo! Now, I lost weight on vacation. You're not supposed to do that, but I did. Okay, I lost like eight pounds or something goofy like that. So I'm down 33 over the last couple, six months. The thing is, is you know what? You go to that party and guess what's sitting over there in the corner? That chocolate cake. Ah, yeah. Uh, you better believe it. Put it all back on in one sitting. What do you, you can overdo excess. You can overdo it, can't you? What does the wine do? The wine feeds the excess of the flesh. When you're, when you're filled with wine, you get that all, and I'm talking about the alcohol, not the new wine. Remember we talked about the new wine, the, the blood of the grape and everything. We talked about the strong dink and the fermenting process. You get that warm feeling, you just excess. And when Paul starts talking about our walk, he, actually, in, in chapter 4, 17, what did he say? Don't walk as the what? Other Gentiles walk. And, and in the vanity of their mind. Don't walk like the lost. That's what he's saying. Don't walk like those guys. Verse 9, 4, 19. Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to, walk, to work all uncleanliness with what? Greediness, there's a classic definition of excess right there at the end of that verse. To, walk, to work all uncleanliness with what? Greediness, what does your flesh want? Greed, it just, it's a big pig at the trough. It just wants more, more, more. 
You can't have one slice of chocolate. My mom used to make this cake called Death by Chocolate. Ooh, mama, was it good. And you know what? You just can't have one. Now you're six pieces in. And Linda walks in and goes, where'd that cake go? I don't know. I don't know. You know, the dog's got it. Yeah, 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 that's it. It's just you come in and you know what? You literally turn yourself over to the greediness of your flesh. That's the excess. Your flesh will go to the wall with the excess. I got to have it. We were up hiking. We went on a 10-mile hike, round trip, in and out, up and down, all over, you know, all this stuff. I got back. I sat down on the boat, and I'm like, I'm done. Man, this is just beautiful. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, riding my Harley, it was always the, 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 the destination wasn't the issue. It was the ride. So you know what they said about the hike? Same thing. I'm like, forget that mess. I know what it is to have a motor between the legs. I'm, we're doing, but you know what, though? You get back, and the next day, okay, Rick, we're going to meet at 730, and we're going to go on this bigger one. And I said, you can go on that bigger one. I ain't going on that thing. Then the next day, all right, Rick, we're going over here. I'm like, all right, maybe if I can, you know. what Excess. Come over with me to Proverbs 23. So when Paul talks here in 518, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. The issue isn't the wine. The issue is the excess of it. When man, Proverbs 23, when man seeks, think about the manic search that you get into sometime. When you begin to search for meaning and purpose and happiness in life. And there's that incredible hopelessness when you don't find it. And you become a manic and you get distressed about it and you get going in it and you're seeking it and you can't find it. And you know what happens? It leads you to a block wall, to ruin. And that's when sin comes in and begins to take over and begins to corrupt your thinking. Proverbs 23 Verse 29, 23, 29. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without causes? Who hath redness of eyes? Notice that. There's nothing peaceful in that verse. It's all tragedy. It's all just excess. They... Notice verse 29, who has this? They that tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. That fermenting process comes to a completion. And you got those two kind of wines in the Bible, the grape the, uh, the new wine, the, the grape juice, we would call it today. And you got that fermented stuff, the intoxicating wine. And you know what happens? You get all of that going. Who, redness of eyes. I mean, you know, I, I think about that and I go, man, why in the world? You know, the beer commercials, they only show the good parts. They never show the night, the, the after effect. Look at verse 35. They that have stricken me, shalt thou say, I was not sick they have, that have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will see it. What? I will seek it yet again. Man, could you imagine 
the excess of the flesh, what does it do? It just takes you and it drives you and it drives you and it drives you. And you know what? You can never get enough. You're addicted to it. That's the excess. Come over to chapter 4 of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 4. In verse 17, if, if you drink the wine, the alcohol, the intoxication, it never leaves you better than when it found you. Look at Proverbs 4, 17. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of what? Violence. Think about that. In Scripture, the function of the intoxicated, the strong drink, the function of it there is, you know what it's going to lead you to? Violence. And if you let your flesh, come back there to Ephesians 5. Might as well just stick something in it. When Paul says here, the excess, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, He's not talking about going out and drinking and tying one on, but rather he's going to begin to talk about the excess of it. And he's going to begin to talk about what drink, the excess of drinking the wine has to do with that issue of violence and that issue of chaos that comes from drinking it and comes from being a part of what's going on. And there's something to understand here that Paul's trying to get into our thinking. And, and again, we're in Ephesians. We're in the big picture chat book. We're in the advanced doctrine. And as we begin to look at this and as we begin to study it, there's some basic issues here about sin that's in the chaos of sin that's designed to thwart the plan of God. What's the plan of God? Have the earth settled? Have the government in the heavens settled? Have the government in the earth settled under Israel, the body of Christ in the heavenly places, and have him be restored as the King of kings and the Lords of lords, the only potentate. Have him be in the rightful position as the head of the universe. And he says, listen, guys, there's the issue of sin and the adversary and the course of this world that's designed is to thwart that, and you need to be aware of it. And you need to understand, I'm not talking about going out and having a Budweiser or Coors Light or, you know, the captain or any of that stuff. We're talking about understanding this issue of the excess that comes from it that your flesh, your sin nature just loves. The reason that God hates sin, the reason it offends him, is because it disrupts the plan that he has. God loves people. He created us. But he hates what, it, what sin did, what the fall did to us. And that's what we're getting at here. Look over at Jeremiah chapter 5. Jeremiah chapter 5. You see, when he talks here about the excess of the wine, again, I, I say it over and over again this morning, he's not talking about going and having a beer at a party. But he's talking about the excess of that. What is, one beer leads to two. Two leads to a six-pack. Six-pack leads to a suitcase. Suitcase leads to a kegger. That's the way it was when I was in college. That's what the guys always did. See? 
You just can't stop at one. You're, what are you doing now? Now you're upside down with the funnel shoved down your throat, gulp it, trying to gulp it down, right? I've seen the stuff on MTV. Come on. So have you. Okay? You might have been the guy upside down with the funnel in your throat. I don't know. Look at Jeremiah 5. You found that? I'll give you time to find that. Look at verse 25. Your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sins hath withholden, notice that, good things from you. That's what angers God about sin. Because what does sin do? It holds back the good things for you. You see, there's some good things that God has designed for you. Come over to 1 John chapter 3. There's some good things that God had planned for Israel. That's who Jeremiah 5 is talking about. There's some good things that God has planned for you and I. And you know what sin does? It holds those things back. Because he's not. you can't enjoy them when you're over here in the excess of your flesh. Look at 1 John 3. Look at verse 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law. For sin is the transgression of the what? The law. See that word transgress? God has a plan. And you know what sin does? It comes in and withholds that plan. Takes the good things, the great things that God has planned and provided for us. And it takes it out of the way. And the sin transgressed the law. The rule that God set up for his creation. There's rules in creation. And you know what sin did? By the way, those rules in creation are more than the Ten Commandments. Okay, we're going to look at them over the course here. He set up rules, and you know what those, that sin does? It comes in and it just thwarts that. Come over to Colossians chapter 2. Comes in and just messes that up. And you know what? God, God, that's why God hates sin. Because it holds back the good things that he has prepared for them that love him. Colossians 2, look at verse 20. Colossians 2, verse 20, Paul says it this way. Wherefore, if ye be, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world. Look at that, rudiments. Rudimentary. The way things work, not elementary, rudiment, the laws what a description, what a way to describe the law, the rudiments of the world, the, the, the way things are designed to work. How does this desk, how does this pulpit stay together? There's laws of physics. There's laws of biology. I mean, I, I think about biology. We're sitting back up there in the back end of nowhere looking at our, you know, mosquitoes fly by and stuff. And trying to spray them, you know. And you're thinking, how in the world could anyone look at creation and think that there's not a creator? Just the way it all functions and works together. We're sitting there one evening, and we're, Linda and I were sitting there, and, and there's these things flying around. And they look like birds, but they're bats. And what are bats doing? They're eating the, they're eating the bugs in the air. You know, and then you listen to them talk, and you read the little, little plackets and everything, and they don't do this on a, a, a tree falls. They don't move, remove it. They leave it because of all of the eco that's going on in it. And then they'll say, well, there's no creator. Like, huh? Look at what, look at what you, you know, you won't do this because you know there, there's animal life in that log. And then you say there's no creator. 
most fascinating thing is they had a plaque about the glaciers. And they had a, they had a glaciers were here up to 22 million years ago, up to here. And then they got a black spot where they don't know anything. And in five, well, 6,000 years ago, they found glaciers. Do you know what happened 6,000 years ago? Creation. Their own plaque proved in the beginning God created. Now, whether there were before or not, I ain't going to argue. But you know what happened 6,000 years ago, roughly? Just, okay? It was creation. And you know what happened about 1,000 years after creation? It's called Noah and the flood. So where do you think them goofy stuff came from? As a Bible perspective, you're looking at it going, wait a minute, we'll forget the 22 million thing. They just proved it right there. Colossians 2, verse 20, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinance? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to the parish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. What are you doing? They're keeping the commandments, aren't they? Rudiments. Again, a reference to the rules that God set up, to the law, the rudiments, the basic functioning principles, the way creation is designed to function. So when Paul begins to talk about what is the excess of the, over here in 5.18, he's drawing us back into some very rudimentary things that everyone should know. And I'll guarantee you that most of us don't know because it's not taught. It's not talked about in pulpits today, especially in grace churches. You know what's taught today? Lifeway Research just did a did a research, a Pew research on Christian churches, Christian churches. 50-something percent of them in the last year talked about COVID. Another 45% or so talked about the 2020 elections. Another 30-something percent of them talked about race. Where's the thinking of the Christian people? Not in trying to understand what God's doing, but in understanding all of this, now I'm not saying those are bad topics, just what's happened to the church at large. It's going the wrong direction. You come over here and find out who you are in Christ. You know what you're going to real quickly under figure out? COVID, the presidential stuff, and the race questions. I don't need to, now I just mentioned them, what, twice in a sermon, so I'll be in their Pew Research next time. Because they, they, what they did was they went through YouTube and all the videos on YouTube and found the words. They have an algorithm. And they do this. And I'm sitting over here going, man, we need to understand the rudiments of the world. The basic, fundamental operating principles of the world. 1 Corinthians 14, quickly. 1 Corinthians 14. Folks, the world is designed to operate in an orderly manner. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 40, the Apostle Paul says, Let all things be done decently and in order. Why? Verse 33, he just told you, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. God is a God of order. When he created things, Genesis 1, when he lays that out, by the way, there's more information about creation in Job, 
Psalms, and Isaiah than sits in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And when he lays out creation, he does it with order. And he does it with, a man, with, with not confusion. By the way, confusion is chaos. Isn't that what the excess of the wine is? It's chaos. It's confusion. And that's what Paul's getting at in 5.18. He's not saying, don't go down there to the, to the bar and have one with the boys and watch the ball game. He's saying, listen, there's a chaos that's going on in the world that you need to understand. And when you look around and you go to talk to someone about their salvation and their eternal security, and then they sit there and they rebuff you, and they don't know who Christ is, they don't even know who God is, there's a reason for that, and there's a system that's working back there that you and I are in constant battle with, spiritually speaking. That's why in Ephesians 6 out there in that conflict and that warfare, he says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. There's something going on behind the scenes that we need to be aware of. And we also need to be aware of our influence into that scene. The basic underlining issue that's going on right now, and again there in Ephesians 5.18, is that issue of chaos. When he says, and be not filled with wine wherein is excess. Folks, sin is des destructive. It's costly. And that's why it angers God. That's why he doesn't like it. That's why he's so animate against it. Because it's the thing that offends God. Think about God. Think about the Godhead. They got a plan, don't they? What did we read in Ephesians 1.10? He's going to do what? He's going to put it all back under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was, way, that was before the foundation of the world. That was the plan. His eternal purpose, later in chapter 1 says. And what did Lucifer say, Isaiah 14? <laughs> I'll be like the Most High. I got a different plan. And he introduces sin into the equation. Sin has been defined as missing the mark, and that's exactly what we're talking about. God says, I have a plan, I have a purpose, and you know what? You miss the mark. But if you're in my son, you hit it bullseye every time. And you need to understand that. Sin costs us a relationship with, with Christ. It causes us to be separated from that good thing, the good things that he's planned and purposed. Come back to Ephesians 5. Just want you to notice this. God's plan, again, what's God's will? He would have all men be saved. By the way, that fixes the sin problem. And do what? Come to the knowledge of the truth. There fix the, the, the knowledge issue, the wisdom. Ephesians 5, verse 18, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. There's something bigger going on here than just warning you about being stupid in life. That's my point this morning, okay? But I want you to notice something. He's got a, he's got a little thing here. He's got a wine. Whoops, W-I-N. And he's got the Spirit, doesn't he? 
He's going to draw a contrast. What does being filled with the Spirit look like? Well, we've studied that out five, five months. Okay? We looked at that. What does it look like? The rest of the section. Verse 19, what does a Spirit-filled look, life look like? What does a life that's controlled by the love and the grace of God look like? What's it going to do? It starts with you, the individual, does it not? It says, hey, speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody in your heart to the Lord. Who You got an inner heart melody. You got a melody in yourself. You got a little step that's going on inside. I do it out here, but it's internal. It's in your heart. Then you got a thankful, giving thanks unto the Lord. I love this one. Giving thanks always for all things. <laughs> Thessalonians says, in all things, here's for it. What do I have? I have a thankful heart. I got a melody in my heart. I got a thankful attitude. And then in verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another, I got a servant's heart, a submission issue going and covering. That's me first. Then verse, verse, what did he say? Wives. And we talked about this. Now we're going to go into roles of marriage. We got the wife and we got the husband. And we, we look at that issue of marriage. And that, that's the first institution of creation, the issue of volition, the issue of free will. The second institution is marriage. Then he talks about the family, chapter 6, verse 1. Now we're going to have the family. There's the third institution of marriage, those fundamental building blocks of society. Where every, you want to know why this country's falling apart? You look at the attack on family and marriage. That's all you got to look. It doesn't matter where you're at, where you're at in society. You look at the attack on marriage and family, and you see the crumbling of it. If you don't believe me, just Google the fall of Rome, and guess what happened to Rome? Same thing. Destroy volition. The choice, choice issues are taken away from you. Then all of a sudden now, there's marriage is gone, family's gone, the nation's gone. That's why history is so important. Like it or not, history is not there for you to like or hate. It's there for you to learn from. Then we go out into the world and we take on the issue of the job and so forth. And you know what he says? Here's what it is designed to look like in your life. And when you walk in the Spirit, when you walk the way in these areas, you are to walk in your role whether it's a wife or a husband or a child or a worker or a dad or a, a boss, when you walk the way you're supposed to walk as who you are in Christ, you're going to have an impact. And Satan ain't going to like it. And the old Sunday school song, if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on a tack, right? Ouch, you know. I was going to bring a tack up here, but, you know, stick pen. But he's got a plan to come in and try to thwart that from you. And that's what the excess of the wine is all about. What does the wine do? It comes in and it brings chaos into the moment. It comes in and it, 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 re, it impacts God's plan and purpose. It, it produces disorder where there's supposed to be order. By the way, Ephesians, there's a note, hang on. Ephesians here, 5, talking about the individual, he's also talking to the local church, to the church at Ephesus, to, to us here. 
And as a local church, you know what we're supposed to be doing? Same thing. Walking in the Spirit. And when we do that, guess what we have an impact on? The community around us. We have people who watch on the Internet from all over the world. We have you. We have folks that aren't here today. They're watching. And so, and you know what we have? We have an impact. That's the Spirit side. Come back with me to Genesis 6. He's talking about the chaos and the disorder. In Genesis chapter 6, you have Noah, the days of Noah, pre-flood. You're in the Romans 1 category, (laughs) okay? You're in trouble. God has established volition. He's established marriage, the family, and what ultimately becomes nationalism, okay, or human government, all right? That's the fourth institution of creation. Marriage, the family, government is never an institution of the state. It's never an institution of the church. It's an institution of God on day one when he creates and he establishes creation. In Genesis 6, if you look there at verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now look at that. In Romans 1, they reject the the revelation of God, don't they? What's man doing here? Well, this is where he did it the first time. They're not going to go by the word. You see that issue in in verse 5 there? The thoughts, the imagination and the thoughts. That's the two compartments of your thinking. The thoughts. That's, That's where the facts are. That's reality. That's the... That's where logic and understanding reside. That's when you look at a thing and they say, well, is it black or white or gray? And you go, it's black, it's white, it's gray. You know, you're factually able to identify what's going on. You got facts. No feelings, just facts. Here they are. But imaginations, that's the creative side. That's, the, that's the, where, where pictures and poetry come from. Arts come from. Dreams come from. You know, I can dream all day that I'm 7'4", but I'm not. I'm 5'10 and a half on a good day. But I wish I was 7'4". Now, Hayden probably would say, no, you don't, but <laughs> probably wishes he was 5'10 and a half. But see, what is it? That's a dream. See? That's, a, that's an imagination. In your imagination is where lies dwell. Where your imagination, it's, it's not real. That's why Paul will tell the Corinthians to cast down the vain imaginations. There's stuff that's not real. It's, your, it's imagery in your mind. That's what the old sin nature does. Comes in and says, you, you can be 7-4, Rick. When I'm 5'10. So I go out there, I'm 7'4, and they go, No, dude, you're five. You know, reality sets in quick. But in my mind, what am I'm doing something? Now watch verse 6. And it repented the Lord 
that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Look, this is what happened. When you turn away from God and from what God has planned, and you know what God said? I, I it repented. He changed his mind about man. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. Everything's been corrupted. Notice that. The animals have been. Everything's been corrupted. What's God going to do? He wants to destroy it, doesn't he? So verse 11, the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with what? violence. How did that happen? They left the plan and the word of God. What did God tell man? Get married. Fill the earth up. Spread out. Get out there and fill this stuff up. And man didn't do that. They rebelled. In response to what man has done in response to the violence, the chaos of sin that sin had produced. It had produced a total wickedness in the world, a whole corruption. And in response to that, you know what God did? He kept one man and his family alive and he wiped everything out. And then when he got on the other side, he established human government. You with me? Oh, it's time to quit. Man. Look at verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of God. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. He looked at Noah. He says, you take the ark, you build it, we're going to put some animals on there that I want after. You know, everybody, where did the dinosaurs go? The whole earth has been corrupted, including the animal kingdom. God's the one that put the animals. Think about this. I, I've been thinking about creation being on our trip. You think about Noah and the ark and what animals made it onto the ark and what animals did not. The closest thing that we have today to what a unicorn is, according to scriptures, a rhino. The one horn with the one horn. I know of fairy dust and sprinklings and all that. It's a, it's a horse with rainbows around it. But not in Scripture. That's the closest thing we have. Why? Because there's some things that were so corrupted that God said, no, no more. He reached out and he comes in and he makes human government. Man, we got to stop. Just got another hour. <laughs> we'll have to pick up part two next week. Okay. Same time, same bad station. Okay. In response to that whole thing, that's what Paul's getting at here, folks. He's looking at it. He says, man, you guys got to have a walk of wisdom. You, this is how you're going to do it. You're going to understand what God's doing, the will of the Lord is. You're going to understand the plan, the procedure, but you got to pay attention to the excess that's going on, the chaos that's happening behind it. Come over to chapter 9, just real quick. 
I don't even know where I'm at. I'm not even halfway down that thing, I don't think. In chapter 9 of Genesis, Noah comes off the boat, and God ordains and puts into play human government, Romans 13. Okay? And we'll pick up with this next time. We'll just kind of go down through it. You take that hand out. You f- f- look at those verses. There's things that are going on here that back in the beginning, if you look here in chapter 9, look at verse 6. Whosoever sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. And you... Be ye fruitful, and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply therein. Now look at 10.1, just real quick, 10.1. Now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and unto them were sons born, notice that, after the flood. Now go back with me just real quick to chapter 6, and look at verse 9. And I'll leave you with something to think about and contemplate. As we move forward, look at Genesis 6, verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. You see that word generations? Most people will define that as a time, 40 years, whatever, 100 years, okay? In Scripture, it's not always defined that way. Do you see that word generations? Do you see that word generate? Noah was perfect in his generations. Wait a minute. All of man has corrupted. Except for who? Noah. He's a just man. Noah's DNA had not been corrupted by the fall, by the, by the, the influence of sin. Now, Noah, I'm not saying Noah wasn't a sinner. Okay, what I'm saying is, is he wasn't corrupted. He was perfect in his generations. Man is fallen. Violence, right? The whole earth, verse, verse 10, the earth was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. What had happened to man? There is a generation, there is a System being generated by the adversary that's contrary to Noah, the gen- what God is generating. It isn't about birth and it isn't about DNA that way. When the Lord looks at the Pharisees and he says, Oh ye, vipe, oh ye generation of vipers, your father is the devil. Who generated those people? Not their mom and dad, but the adversary. And that's what's being introduced here, okay? Think about that. We'll talk some more about it as we go through. In Ephesians 5.18, when he says, and, be, and, and uh, be not, I just had it. Ephesians 5.18, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. He's after the chaos issue. He's after the violence. That's what he's after rather than having too much of this or, or not enough of that. Okay? We'll pick up in all of this. Kind of got a little confusing there at the end. But you think about this stuff. We're going back. Paul, Paul takes you I back to Adam all the time. Okay? All right, just think about that. Okay? Dear Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we just thank you that we can dig into the scriptures and see these. 
get our under, get these these uh, issues uh, straight in our mind, get them in our thinking properly, so that we, as we look around the world about us, will know how to deal with and handle the world around us, and we can do it for your honor and for your glory. In your name we pray, amen.